0: Well, good morning, Hellas Church. My name is Andrew, and I serve as a pastor here, and I'm, I have the privilege of leading us through our study of the scriptures today. So if, if you would, before we dive into Acts 23, to the passage that was read for us a few moments ago, let me voice a prayer for us, and then we're going to dive right in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the fact that your mercy is anew every morning. We thank you for the goodness and the grace that you have shown us in Christ. God, I pray that in this moment, you would help us take refuge in Christ, Help us to find life in Christ. Help us to find hope in Christ. Help us to find wisdom in Christ. Help us to find all that we need in Christ to handle all that is happening in the world around us. God, we pray that your grace would abound and that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I pray that as a church in Seattle, we would take our place in serving you in light of all that you have promised, in serving you in light of all of your passions and your priorities. Give us your perspective. Give us your directives as we respond in love and in humility, in kindness, in compassion, in advocacy and in solidarity with all that is taking place around us. Father, we ask and we pray that our time in your word today would equip us, that our time in your word would empower us and encourage us. All in Jesus' name, amen. Well, During Hitler's Holocaust, there lived a man named Helmut Tilica. And Tilica, along with some of his friends, one guy you are probably familiar with, a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, they formed a resistance group to oppose the Third Reich. And this group would meet in secret, and they would fashion documents designed to Uh, oppose Hitler. These documents were antithetical to Hitler and, and undermined his ambitions. They were driven by their faith in Jesus to provide a theological and an intellectual argument for what was called the other Germany because there were many in that country who did not share Hitler's oppressive and unjust desires. One day the Gestapo caught wind of their meetings and they came in and and arrested many members of the group. Some of them were thrown into prison, and they were tortured, and like Bonhoeffer, they were uh, killed. They were uh, put to death. But then there were others who were in prison, and they were never put to death, but because before, there, before that day could come, the U.S. and our allies came into Berlin and, and set them free. One guy in particular was named Walter Bauer. Now, Tilica was never arrested, and during That whole time, he continued to write and and produce material that would later help rebuild Germany in the wake of World War II. But it always puzzled him as to why he was spared. And and one day, he was talking to Bauer. And Bauer said that on one occasion, the Gestapo came into a prison cell, and, and they had a sheet of paper with a list of names, but there was one name on the list that was illegible, And Bauer knew that it was Tilica's name, but he refused to give that away. He just stayed silent. And it turned out that Tilica was spared because the ink on a scrap piece of paper was smeared. His name was smudged. Now, as followers of Jesus, we do not credit impersonal forces such as chance or fate with any occurrence, with any happening, whether they be big or small. No, the gospel tunes us into the reality of divine providence. And divine providence says that God is not remote. He is not removed. He is not inattentive to what is happening and occurring in our lives or in the world around us. Divine providence says that God is at work in and through all that is taking place to fulfill his purposes and to accomplish his promises. And so we don't talk about chance, we don't talk about fate, we talk about divine providence even when we're talking about smudged ink on a scrap piece of paper. Well, if you have your Bibles and if you're opened up to Acts chapter 23, you're going to be presented with a passage that puts divine providence before us. Divine providence, God at work in the midst of various forms of oppression and injustice. It's in big historical moments like the one that we are currently in that with all the protests taking place in response to the killing of George Floyd and as well as the various forms of racial injustice that's plaguing our society, it's only natural for you and I to ask, where is God in the midst of it all? Is God paying attention? What is God going to do to rectify the situation? Questions concerning God's presence, questions concerning God's purposes, questions concerning God's activity, they they rise in moments like these. And perhaps questions like those have been occupying your mind over the past several weeks. One of the striking aspects of Acts chapter 23 is the fact that God's name doesn't pop up one time in this passage. Neither is there an explicit reference to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit. And this passage then is a lot like the Old Testament book of Esther, where God's name doesn't pop up in that book either, but the fingerprints of providence are pressed on every word. The fingerprints of providence may be discerned, they may be sensed as the plots unfold in, God's, in the direction of God's purposes and in the direction of God's promises. You see, God's providence is often quiet, and it is often subtle. And because his providence is often quiet and subtle, it, it often contrasts starkly with loud and dramatic elements associated with oppression and injustice. That God's quiet and subtle providence is not... It often it stands in contrast with all that is taking place in a moment like the one that we are in right now. And that's very similar to what's happening in this passage because in verses 12 through 15... An oppressive and unjust uh, plot is formed against the Apostle Paul. There are a group of Jews who wanted to kill him. And they even vowed under a curse to do so, saying they, they will neither eat nor drink until the Apostle is dead. And this scheme was being hatched by powerful people. They were even able to draw in the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was a ruling council that were empowered by the Roman government to oversee localized Jewish affairs, and, and so these are powerful people at work and scheming to oppress the Apostle Paul because Paul represented a growing gospel movement that was sweeping through Jerusalem, that was turning the world upside down, and, and well, historically, people of power, they've often resorted to oppressive tactics when, whenever the scope of their influence or Their positions of authority are challenged or threatened. This was evident in the oppression that Jesus experienced in his life and ministry. In John chapter 11, verse 48, the religious elite said, if we let him go on like this, that is Jesus, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. We will lose influence. We will lose authority. And here we see that happening with Jesus' apostle as well. The message Paul is preaching and the miracles he's performing is turning the world upside down. But those who who held stock in the status quo, they didn't want anything to change. And so they conspired to unjustly kill the apostle just as they conspired to unjustly kill Jesus. So Paul in this passage is being treated in ways that's very reminiscent, in ways that are very similar to how Jesus was treated in his life and ministry. Now for those of you who are listening to this and and perhaps you've experienced oppression and injustice due to the color of your skin, and if that's the case, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to take refuge in Christ because there you're going to find One who understands exactly what you are going through. In Christ, you are going to find one who's capable of comforting you in the midst of your experience with oppression and injustice. You know, many slaves on the American soil did just that when they were being treated poorly and they were being victimized and oppressed and treated unjustly. And their deep and rich faith found expression in Negro spirituals. They would sing songs like, Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. They experienced Jesus' comforting presence. They experienced Jesus' solidarity with them in the midst of their oppression and in the midst of being unjustly treated. So you are encouraged to take refuge in Christ to draw near to the one who understands, draw near to the one who is capable of comforting you through what you've experienced and through what you are enduring. And as you take refuge in Christ, please know that you are taking refuge in the one who will one day right every wrong. You are taking refuge in the one who will one day make all things new. And he will eradicate every hint of oppression and injustice that exists in the world right now. You see, peppered all throughout Scripture, God makes promises that one day his justice will prevail in all things. I'll give you one example. In Isaiah chapter 51 verse 4, God says, Pay attention to me, my people, and listen to me, my nation, for instruction will come from me and my justice for a light to the nations." I will bring it about quickly. My righteousness is near. My salvation appears and my arms will bring justice to the nations. And it is the providence of God. It is God at work in the world. It is God being near, God being here, God being attentive, God being active that serves the fulfillment of those promises. That everything God is attending to in the world, even in the midst of oppression and injustice, is being steered towards his consummated end, steered towards the fulfillment of all his promises. But this providence that we're talking about is often quiet, and it is often subtle. This quiet and subtle providence of God was present in the coming of Jesus who was born of a virgin named Mary in a little town called Bethlehem. And he was raised in in an irreputable town called Nazareth. And this penniless rabbi, we are told in the Gospel of Luke, was anointed to preach good news to the poor. He was sent to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The quiet and subtle providence of God, ushering in the birth of the Savior, attending to the rearing of the Savior who would then step onto the scene in Galilee and begin doing just that. And this same providence was at work in and through the oppression Jesus would experience and the injustice that he would fall victim to when he is crucified on the cross. Yet God and his providence is working in and through all of that to bring about true liberty and eternal justice for all of his people. This is why we take refuge in Christ in moments like these. God's providence serves his purposes. And in verse 11 Earlier in the passage in verse 11, this wasn't read for us a moment ago, I don't think, but verse 11, uh, God made a promise to Paul. He said, have courage for as you have nestled about me, (laughs) as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. See, this conspiracy to kill Paul seemed to be a direct threat to that promise. It challenged what God said would happen. Yet God in his quiet and subtle providence, he's going to work through the sin and wickedness of Jewish leaders to actually bring Paul to Rome, to get him there so that he might testify to the gospel as God had promised. Now many times we cannot see why things are happening as they are, yet in the light of the gospel, in light of the gospel, we can trust that God is at work in ways that we cannot imagine, in ways that we do not expect in ways that we would never script for ourselves. This story reminds us of that, and in so doing, it echoes the gospel story, which declares that loudly. So the plot in this passage is that 40 assassins are planning to jump Paul while he's being brought to the Sanhedrin. But what's interesting is that we're told that Paul's nephew learned about what's going down. He was aware of the plot. And we don't know exactly how he learned about it. We don't know if he just happened to be in the right place at the right time and overheard the plan as it was being formed and the plan as it it was being discussed. We don't know if maybe he was friends with a son of one of the members of the Sanhedrin and learned that way. We have no idea how this young person discovered the plot against Paul. How he became aware of the unjust scheme that was being directed in his direction. We don't know how he found this information out, but we can say with all certainty it wasn't dumb luck. It wasn't dumb luck. It was divine providence. It was divine providence, God's quiet and subtle providence making him aware of what was going on so that he could then take action. And this is exactly what this young person does. He takes action. He, he steps up. But he doesn't step up with a solution. He steps up by going to Paul and, and informing Paul about what was going on. But then he listened. He listened to the apostle Paul, this victim of oppression and injustice, as Paul would then quarterback the next steps. Paul would then direct the next course of action. You know, one of the ways that God is working in the wake of George Floyd's killing is by waking people up to the tenured problems of racial injustice. Of racial injustice and oppression that has taken place and is taking place in our country. And I've been asked by well-intentioned disciples, by sincere and well-intentioned disciples about what we should be doing in response to what is happening. How should we respond to the protests? How should we respond to this newfound awareness that many people have to the reality of injustice and oppression? And honestly, I believe we should follow this young person's example. I believe we should go to the victims of injustice and oppression and let them know that we are aware of what's happening that we are not oblivious, that we are not indifferent, that we are not blind, that we are not ignorant, that we are very much aware of what has taken place and what is taking place. And we let them know that we are aware and then we sit and we listen. We sit and we listen to their experience. We sit and listen. Discerning a course of action that they are quarterbacking for us to take. Specifically, I think we should go to those who know Jesus, who love Jesus, who trust Jesus, and listen to them and let them tell us how we should proceed. Let those who, like Paul, are following Jesus, kind of lead us in the pursuit of justice. You know, for Martin Luther King Jr., it was his faith in Christ that shaped the course of action he put before others to follow in the pursuit of racial equality. And in the pursuit of justice. And members of the ethnic majority like myself, we must reject a messianic mentality. A messianic mentality mentality that suggests we are sufficient to solve the complex problems associated with oppression and injustice in our context. So we want to wake up to the problem that is and, and then reach out to the oppressed and the marginalized, listen to their counsel. Listen to their directives as they, and really just follow their lead in in peaceful, God-honoring solutions to a very complex and carnal problem. Well, Paul does this here. The young man comes to him and and lets him know about what's happening. And then Paul takes charge. Paul begins to direct the course. And he wisely suggests that the young person be, that he go to the commander and report everything that he has heard. To go to the commander and report all that is being schemed against him. Now, it does concern me at times when a young woke person forges ahead in matters of justice without seeking and considering the wisdom and experience of those who've been doing it a lot longer. Unbridled passion is often unproductive, and too often a, a person with a newfound path, a newfound passion for justice, they. They just start making these broad, sweeping, generalized statements about issues, oftentimes getting personal in counterproductive ways, and they end up not moving the ball forward in a constructive direction. Well, this young person, he, he doesn't forge ahead in reckless ways. He doesn't have a passion that is unbridled, instead, He tethers himself to Paul's wisdom. He tethers himself to Paul's leadership. He tethers himself to Paul and then acts accordingly. So young people, let me encourage you. Who can you tether yourself to in this moment? Who can you tether yourself to in this moment for wisdom, for leadership, and for action? And are you tethering yourself to those who actually know and love Jesus? Are you tethering yourself to those who whose faith in Christ is energizing their pursuit of justice, whose faith in Christ is compelling them towards seeking the flourishing of all people and all members of our society. Are you tethering yourself to those who act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God? Well, let's don't miss how God's providence is at work in this story. He's working through a young person who's stepping up And tethering himself to Paul's leadership, and he's working through the wise decisions that Paul is making to align themselves up with the promise that God had stated earlier in verse eleven. You see, affirming God's providence, affirming God's providence does not mean we live by fate. Fate approaches life passively. Fate is often an excuse for people to be inactive to be lazy, to be inattentive. Fate is often an excuse for people to put their head in the sands and to remain willfully oblivious to all that is happening around us. Fate is often used to justify injustice, the lingering impact of oppression and injustice in society and in the world around us. But you and I, as followers of Jesus, we do not live by fate We live by faith, and faith approaches life actively. Faith sweats, so to speak. Faith makes decisions. Faith takes responsibility. Faith aligns us up with the purposes and the promises of God so that we can live towards them and make decisions in light of them. Now, when I say that faith sweats, I'm not saying that faith sweats the sweat of anxiety. I am saying that faith sweats the sweat of activity, the sweat of doing things that correspond with the reality of the kingdom of God and the beauty of the gospel. Faith moves us in that direction. Faith is active, faith sweats. Well, God promised Paul that he would bear witness to the gospel in Rome, and so Paul is now making decisions that enable him to live towards the fulfillment of that promise. He's making choices to put himself in line with that reality. So he sends word to Lysias, a military commander who immediately responds to the the threat. And this commander makes plans to transfer Paul to Caesarea, which was a little over 30 miles uh, northwest of the city of Jerusalem. It It was the headquarters for Roman military forces in that region. And what I love about this moment is that Lysias actually protects Paul. He surrounds the apostle with 470 soldiers to lead him to that destination. And here we see another example of God's quiet and subtle providence. Here we see something remarkable remarkable about the sovereignty of God and how he is at work in the world around us. Do you understand that in his sovereignty, God often uses unwitting secular governments to accomplish his purposes? Unwitting secular governments are often used by God to accomplish his purposes for his kingdom. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1 says, A king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hands. He directs it wherever he chooses. This is one of the reasons. One of the reasons you and I are commanded to pray for our governing authorities. We pray for God's providence to be at work in and through our authorities, whether they be Democrat or Republican, whether they be Libertarian or totalitarian, whether they be just or unjust, we pray for our governing authorities, asking for God's promises to be fulfilled through their leadership, through their work and activity. God often uses secular, unwitting, secular governments to advance his sovereign agenda. And we see an example of this in this passage. And what's interesting is there are several agendas that are clashing here. The Jews want to put Paul to death and stomp out the movement of the gospel. The commander wants to uh, find favor in the eyes of Governor Felix. So he writes this letter that's very glowing about him and very glowing about Felix. And he's trying to win favor in his eyes. And Felix, he wants to maintain the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. He wants to protect a Roman citizen and and keep the peace so that he he is not removed from his position, so that he doesn't lose authority or influence, and so he's acting in that way and according to that agenda. But then in the midst of it all, God's will is working out, working itself out. God's agenda is at work in the midst of all these competing and clashing agendas. And and you think about our day-to-day, there are lots of agendas clashing, There are lots of agendas clashing around us, some agendas that might excite you, some agendas that might frighten you. But understand this there's only one agenda that ultimately matters. There's only one agenda that should ultimately concern the follower of Christ and the believer in the gospel. There's only one agenda that ultimately matters because, in the end, there's only one agenda that's going to prevail. And it's the agenda that declares absolutely and unequivocally, Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. It is the agenda that says God wins in all things and his justice will prevail. It's the good news of the gospel of God's kingdom that Jesus is Lord, that he is reigning and ruling right now. And one day he will make his reign and his rule obvious to everyone. As he is coming back, and when he comes back, he will eradicate sin, suffering, death. He will remove oppression and injustice and establish his kingdom forever and always, where he's wiping away every tear from our eyes, and he is bringing us into harmony with himself and with each other. One day, God's kingdom will be consummated, and in that kingdom, there will be citizens From every nation, every tribe, every language, every tongue, who is worshiping Jesus together, loving one another forever and always. It that's the agenda that's going to prevail in the end. And that's the agenda that followers of Christ are ultimately concerned with and are ultimately committed to. Now, the most important element in Lysias' letter was the declaration of Paul's innocence. Although Paul was the victim of oppression and he was the victim of injustice in this story, he he maintained innocence much like Jesus. Gospel-believing people are not reckless. They are not dangerous lawbreakers. This point has been emphasized time and time again in the book of Acts. Gospel-believing people are not anarchists and we are not secular revolutionaries. Gospel-believing people are resident aliens. We are resident aliens who recognize that this world is not our home. And as we live towards the world that is to come, we are uniquely equipped to bless the world that is right now. We are able to seek the welfare of our city, not because we hope to turn Seattle into heaven. We seek the welfare of our city because we want to give Seattle a taste of heaven. We want to wet people's appetites with the reality of the world that is to come so that they too might follow Jesus in that direction, so that they too may find hope, so that they too may find life, so that they, might, they too might find a real reason to advocate and a real reason to exercise solidarity with those who may be oppressed and experiencing injustice in the world that is. One of my favorite illustrations of the impact the early church had on the world around her is found in a 2nd century document titled The Epistle of Methodist to Diognetus. And in it, the author describes the way Christians imitated their Savior by living civil, honorable, and holy lives as they journey through the world that is and route to the world that is to come. Listen to what was said about them. It says, They have a common table but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws by their lives. They love all people, even though they are persecuted by all. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are reviled and blessed. They are reviled and they bless. They are insulted and repay insult with honor. They do good Yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. I love that. And as we think about the complicated situation that we are currently in as a society... I want to encourage those of you who are believing the gospel and to follow Christ with the principle that when the laws of the land do not hinder us from worshiping Jesus and do not hinder us from living out our faith in Jesus, we should abide by the rule of law as model citizens. And like Paul we should learn to leverage the rights given to us by our governing authorities to promote the flourishing of all of society's citizens. This is why we vote. This is why we protest. This is why we exercise free speech Free speech, and are willing to hold authorities accountable to the laws that they are supposed to see through the laws that they are supposed to empower. And so I would encourage you, no matter where you are in this moment, to ask yourself, how is the Spirit leading you to respond to the, cult, to the current cultural moment? What action is He leading you to take? What decision is He leading you to make? How are you living by faith and aligning your life up with the promises and the purposes of God during days like these? How are you trusting in the quiet and subtle providence of God that doesn't make you inactive, but that should make you more active as you act with a faithful confidence in the purposes of God and the reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do. What action should you be taking? What decisions should you be making? Now this passage ends with Paul being brought to Herod's palace where he would be given an opportunity to bear witness to the gospel. And he would do that before being shipped off to Rome where he would bear witness to the gospel in fulfillment to what God had promised. (laughs) See, God's promises serve God's promises. God's providence serves his promises. And no situation is out of God's control. Not even a situation marred by oppression and injustice is beyond the reach of God's providential purposes, of God's redemptive activity. No situation is outside of God's control. And so we take heart in that. We put our faith in that. We rest in that reality, even in moments like these. See, in that sense, this story of From Acts 23, it echoes the gospel story where God was at work in and through the oppression and injustice that fell upon Jesus to catalyze the recreation of all things, to guarantee that all things will be made new, and that the kingdom of God is going to ultimately prevail And so we rest in that reality. We trust in that reality. We live and love and serve and speak up and speak out in light of that reality. Because God is a God of providence, we can live by faith and have peace in our hearts despite all the oppression, injustice, and conflicting agendas that surround us in this moment. So let's take refuge in Christ. Let's trust the gospel. Let's love each other and let's love our city in ways that will give everyone a glimpse of heaven, a taste of the world that is to come. Let's live with our antennas up, aware and in tune with the quiet and subtle providence of God that serves the promises God makes to his people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you give us grace to receive your word today and to respond accordingly. Heavenly Father, we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And would you give us grace to find our place in living out that reality. God, we ask and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.